0: I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Strangers, it's rare that we can bring you a story that has, well, everything. But we can confidently say that today's tale really brings it to the table. We have Alien Activity. We have a creature, we have Project Blue Book, we have West Virginia. Yes, it's finally time for us to take on a singular event that occurred on September 12, 1952 and shaped both a town and a legend, the night the story of the Flatwoods Monster was born. Some consider this beast, also known as the green monster or the Phantom of the Flatwoods, to be extraterrestrial, and those who claim to have spotted it as having experienced a close encounter of the third kind, complete with physical after effects. Others group the apparently giant creature who gave its one night only performance 70 years ago firmly in the crypto camp. Personally, we feel like West Virginia has been through enough, what with that moth and all, but we're here to report on it anyway, because folks have been arguing about this one for more than half a century. And the town of Flatwoods, population 264, according to the 2020 census, has been thriving on monster memorabilia ever since. So let's get started, shall we? Imagine this, it is the fall of 1952. And as History.com points out, the American public is primed and paranoid for the extraordinary. The Cold War is well and truly underway, and as reporter Roy Wenzel writes, alien mania is everywhere. Back then, Life magazine was the most popular periodical in the country, and per Wenzel, the magazine had just published, quote, a seemingly credible trend story about flying saucers that same year. It was a time when American children were practicing bomb drills in their classrooms. Just in case the big one came down and disintegrated everyone, they'd have the protection of their wooden desks. What we're getting at here is that the terror in 1952, it was pervasive and palpable. And terrified people, they are on edge. It wasn't any different in rural West Virginia, where our story unfolded. Current events touched them, too. Paranoia travels far, even to the little town of Flatwoods. After all, even the most far-flung counties have the radio and the news. The town of Flatwoods is located square in central Appalachia, West Virginia being the only state fully encapsulated in the region. The more you know. It was established as a little railroad town and was tiny even back in 1952 when, according to the census, about 300 people lived in the area. Two of those residents were the May brothers, Edward, 13, and Theodore, 12. Edward went by Ed, and Theodore seems to have gone by Freddy. The news played it a little fast and loose with that one. They were the sons of Mrs. Kathleen May, who was, according to the Charleston Gazette, a 32-year-old beautician. On the night of September 12th, the Gazette reported that her sons were enjoying a game of football with a friend, either named Tommy Heyer or Ronald Shaver. The sources are irritatingly inconsistent on that point, who was 10 years old. Most versions of the Flatwoods monster story start with these three boys outside alone with their mother and another friend at the Mays household nearby. But we find it interesting that the Gazette's 1952 article notes that the key adult protagonist in this tale, and we are using the term adult loosely here, were actually present for this outdoor activity. And that's important because it makes them eyewitnesses, not once, but twice. According to its reporter, both Kathleen May and a local teen named Jean Lemon, we love that name, were apparently there to watch the football game. Some sources describe Gene as a cousin, others as a neighbor. He could have been both. After all, it was a small town. Jean was not your standard 17 year old. He was a National Guardsman and he probably wasn't expecting to be called on for any services that evening, but, well, things do happen. And what happened first that September night was, according to the Charleston Gazette, quote, a weird light that flashed through the skies. There were two other boys playing either nearby or with the original three, reports vary there also. But Theodore Neal and Neil Nunley, very confusing we know, were also present to see the light. And per the Gazette, all seven of the witnesses, Kathleen, Jean, and the five boys, gazed into the night sky as a silvery object soared above them and disappeared beyond a hill. It was lit by an orangey glow that pulsed in the sky even as it vanished from sight. That hill was on the property of what the Brownwood Bulletin described as C.B. Fisher's Farm. And whatever the thing was, it seems to have ended up on his property. We imagine it was an exciting evening for C.B. Fisher. But in any case, what happened next was exactly what you'd imagine would occur if the setting was a Netflix series about teens in a 1980s cursed supernatural town and not mid-century rural West Virginia. Yes, those boys ran toward the farmland where the object had seemingly landed. And according to the Gazette, Jean Lemon and Kathleen May grabbed up two flashlights and joined all five boys, the Mays and their friends, and headed up the hill as well. The Gazette reported that when the seven made it up the hill, they were struck by a sudden stink that left them reeling. Sources described it as both metallic and sulfurous, a pretty terrible combination if you ask us. But for some reason, the group kept going, and as they made it around a corner, they were rewarded with a terrifying sight. The Gazette reported they saw, quote, two lights as big as flashlights and about a foot apart, gleaming at them from a clump of trees to their left. According to the news journal, Kathleen described a mist and a quote, hissing sound like the frying of bacon. And according to the Rally News and Observer, Gene Lemon, he wasn't sure what he saw, at least at first, maybe some kind of animal. But then when he shone his flashlight on the creature, it began to glow and it was big. 10 feet tall, he estimated, with a flush face and a green body. Per the Charleston Gazette, The witnesses variously described the creature as sporting a black spade-like cow, which extended a foot or more above its head, and claw-like hands, and orange-green eyes the size of half dollars. There were no pupils. Kathleen was sure of that. I got a good look at it. It lit up like a Christmas tree, she told the UPI reporters. They couldn't tell quite how it was illuminated, According to the Gazette, poor Gene Lemon had dropped his flashlight in surprise, so a thorough examination was impossible. But it was clear that some glowing was happening because the witnesses claimed that they could still make out the outline of the creature. It was enough to make Gene Lemon stumble and fall, and Kathleen swore that as they watched the flowing cowled creature began to move toward them. The Rally News and Observer reported that it was as if, quote, a half-man, half-dragon. Specifically, Kathleen said it was a, quote, fire-breathing monster, 10 feet tall with a bright green body and a blood-red face, was advancing on them. Its movements were, quote, bouncing and floating. And that stink, it was getting worse. The air reeked of metal. Kathleen told the Observer, it looked way worse than a Frankenstein. It couldn't have been human. She reported that she and her boys, quote, vomited for hours afterward because of the smell. Indeed, all of the witnesses said that they became sick due to the stench. The seven fled for their lives back down that hill. Though the original sources did not report it, a modern newspaper, Florida Today, mentioned that they discovered an oily substance on their clothing when they managed to make their way back home. And when they got there, according to the Gazette, Kathleen rushed to call the Braxton County Sheriff, but he and the only deputy, quote, had gone to investigate another sighting. Apparently, over in a town called, yes, Duck, a man named Woodrow Eagle had also spotted something in the sky He said, quote, something the size of a small airplane had crashed nearby, but they were unable to locate anything of the sort. Meanwhile, Kathleen, Jean, and the boys sought help elsewhere. After all, the town of Flatwoods was not large. It soon got around that they'd been driven from C.B. Fisher's farm by an unearthly giant green beast and an otherworldly stench. Well, the rally news and observer actually wrote that, quote, a Frankenstein monster with B.O. drove them from the hilltop, but we feel that description lacks a certain gravitas. After all, it must have been frightening for them. Jean was in the National Guard, and as a mother of two boys and a beautician, Kathleen had certainly seen some things. They were believable enough that, without law enforcement to aid them, a group of local men decided to go up that hill, armed, of course, to see what exactly was going on. One of those men was the publisher of the Braxton County Democrat, A. Lee Stewart. And according to the Rally News and Observer, he and the other men didn't find any sign of a spade-headed, possibly green, possibly 10-foot monster. There wasn't a single glowing eye or a clawed hand. And that might not be a huge surprise to you. Somehow, a trace is never left for those who investigate the monster under the bed, or on top of the hill, or there usually isn't, except for one strange thing. This time around, the posse did encounter something odd on that hill, the clinging stink of metal and marks on the ground and that must have worried them at least a little. It was certainly confusing to Ailee Stewart, who told UPI reporters that the witnesses must have seen something, I don't know what to think. I hate to say I believe it and I hate to say I don't believe it. Those people were scared, bad scared, and I sure smelled something. The odor was there, it was sort of warm and sickening, and there were two places about six to eight feet in diameter where the brush was trampled down. Were the marks from a spacecraft or a creature? Could they have come from something else altogether? It was farmland after all, but what about that smell? And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. I'm sure you've heard the old adage that you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do, are you making time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with Everything Everywhere Daily, you can easily make that goal a reality. Everything Everywhere Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. One listener says the show truly makes my day more enjoyable and entertaining. Fans of the show are so passionate, they even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who've listened to all 900-plus and counting episodes. I highly recommend you check out Everything Everywhere Daily's recent episodes on Why Are There No Flying Cars? and The Little Ice Age That Happened 700 Years Ago. Learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere Daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the sheriff made it back from his first flying object report, he and the deputy went to investigate the site themselves. They didn't find a thing, and whether they encountered the smell is not detailed. Though one resident did report that, quote, a strange machine had left the ridge just after sunrise. Some in the town were fully ready to embrace this monster tale. The Gazette reported that quote, hundreds of people came up the following morning to see the hill. Pretty impressive for a town where the total population could fill a movie theater. We assume that all of Braxton County contributed to that number on the hill there were things to be seen in the daylight. Locals reported the same tracks that Ailey Edwards had spotted and more. According to the Charleston Gazette, there were quote, oil marks, scraps of metal, and pieces of black plastic-like substance on the ground. Pretty convincing leftovers, in our opinion, practically a whole meal of them, but for others, not so much. The West Virginia State Police were called in But according to the Rally News & Observer, they, quote, figured the smelly boogeyman was the product of mass hysteria. Why were they so sure? Per the Brownwood Bulletin, there had been reports of, quote, meteor showers over a three-state area that same evening that the seven witnesses saw the silver object in the sky. That was enough explanation for the bright orange light, or so the state police said. And what about the oil? And the strange marks and that material at the site? According to legendary skeptic Joe Nickel, who published an investigation of the Flatwoods monster in 2000, a man with a 10-year-old truck had been up at the top of that very same hill, a truck that leaked oil and could have left those tire marks. But there were others who didn't think that a meteor shower was a good enough solution. A team from the North American Newspaper Alliance arrived to report on the event that very same day. They apparently reported all the time on unexplained phenomena, which should tell us just how common UFO spotting was in the 1950s. According to the Gazette, this team was led by a reporter named Ivan Sanderson, who interviewed numerous people in town, including the witnesses, and then the county. And by his count, not one, but five objects had been seen in the sky. He believed they were maneuvered, not naturally flying or falling, and that, quote, topographical maps showed the Flatwoods object couldn't have struck where it said it did if it had been a meteor. Ivan Sanderson didn't offer a clear opinion on the whole unnatural green monster thing, of course. He was a newsman, after all. But there were others looking into the events as well. Specifically, our friends at the very newly formed Project Blue Book, all nice and shiny from their March 1952 incarnation. According to History.com, Project Blue Book deployed what they described as, quote, a handful of investigators to West Virginia to investigate the Flatwoods' claim, and to explore the other sightings in the Braxton and surrounding county areas, the supposed flying objects that had whizzed around while Kathleen, Jean, and the children had their frightening encounter. While the investigation went on, Jean and Kathleen, they traveled to New York City, where they were interviewed by CBS News about their experience. There, they presented what they described as an accurate drawing of what would become known as the Flatwoods Monster. This now-famous piece of monster art can be seen all over the internet, and it is memorable. Imagine, if you will, a giant, evil candle flame, wearing a dress and with enormous clawed hands like a scarecrow. We found it interesting that the whole dress or robe or whatever was never mentioned in the original reports. The witnesses never clearly described the thing's body at all. So, we imagine the artist took a little creative license. Bold move. Ultimately, Air Force officials decided that no spaceship had visited Flatwoods. And that creature that Kathleen Jean and the boys had seen? Per the News Journal, The Air Force did not believe that it was a ten-foot, spade-headed, floating, green, flame-eyed beast. The clawed hands? The bouncing, wavering movements? The giant eyes? They decided that it was... a barn owl. We're not kidding. Now you might be asking, how could that be possible? After all, the Seven Witnesses described an enormous creature, something like a monster straight out of a really strange haunted house at a mid-level carnival. And if we're being frank, it didn't sound much like an owl. But skeptic Joe Nickel had an answer for that too. In his published report, he explained that the monster's description, quote, from the waist down was vague. That seemed consistent to him with a bird perched on a limb. We guess that could account for the whole flowing robe concept. He also thought that the details of a spade-like face or cowl was owl-like too. Citing several experts, he explained that, quote, the barn owl has a large head with a ghastly, roundish, heart-shaped face, resembling that of a closely fitting hood and with an expression that gives a mysterious air. And how about those wings? They could, when spread wide, give the suggestion of height. And yet, there are still those who believe in the Flatwoods monster. Kathleen somewhat recanted her tale by 1956. In that, as was reported in the Charleston Gazette, she decided what she'd seen was not a creature at all, or an accompanying UFO, but some kind of military aircraft. That might have had something to do with public opinion. It was sure to be hard living in a small town like hers with a tale growing up around her. But her sons, Ed and Freddie, they still stuck to their stories. They still do actually. As Freddie said in a rare documentary interview quoted by History.com, As far as for myself, it doesn't matter to me whether people believe or don't believe. And a ufologist named Frank Ficino, Jr., who spent two decades researching the case, he considers the whole thing to be a massive government conspiracy. According to the news journal, he wrote a book called The Braxton County Monster Revised Edition, The Cover-Up of the Flatwoods Monster Revealed. Strangers, it is over 300 pages long, so we assume there is a lot of covering up that happened at least in Frank's opinion. Ultimately, we never say yay or nay when it comes to a good alien or cryptid or flying saucer tail. And we don't hold it against the town of Flatwoods that they've celebrated the legend for the past 70 years. After all, it's a great tourist attraction to have your own giant green monster and the accompanying figures and lunch specials and gift shop. Barn owls just don't attract the same kind of commercial attention, do they? Not unless there are conspiracies or staircases involved. And this isn't that kind of podcast. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, fun giveaways, and the occasional live streams, all for five bucks a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.